just this past week. I saw a picture of Britney Spears, and she was endorsing a particular political candidate. We're not going to go down that path. But the path we are going to go down is the fact that Britney looks so different. The things that she has done to herself and her appearance, the things that she's done to her life. Most of us who are familiar with her. Know how a few years ago her life was in turmoil. And we can think of others in the entertainment industry. Lindsay Lohan. Uh, all the names come, come to mind. of Young children who have grown up in the entertainment industry and then their lives just become wrecks. In fact, we could probably name easier the, the individuals that we know who, who seem to have been able to keep it together. The only one I can think of is Ronnie Howard, little Opie, you know, from Andy Griffith. And all the rest of them, it seems they've gone on a different path. And it's easy for us to dismiss that, say, oh, that's a different environment, it's so hard to live in that environment, and, and we, we, we say, it's no big deal, we, that's to be expected. But then we're we see stories of, what is it, Ethan Couch, I think it was his name, the athlete wins a kid. And what his life has become because of choices he has made as a young man. And that's a little bit closer to us because that's someone in our community. That's not someone that's been brought up in the entertainment industry. California or things or different. In some places, right? Some segments. I forgot to in California. <laughs> but we can look around us and we can see individuals that we know that we wonder where did things go wrong? And the reality is that as parents we can avoid pitfalls and we can help our children grow to be godly men and godly young women when we are diligent parents. One of the great stories of the Old Testament is found in the book of 1 Samuel. And a few weeks ago, we read the story of the power of prayer as we looked at the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And as we are looking in that same context of 1 Samuel, we also see uh, a story of quite the opposite of Hannah and her zeal for God. How that impacted perhaps her young child who grew up in the temple serving God, who grew up in the tabernacle serving God. And we look at Eli the priest and how he failed to raise his children to honor God. And so we can look at the story to see a message of how parents can avoid pitfalls. Notice the story. Now we read beginning in verse, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1. It says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. And the custom of the priests with the people. 
When any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling and with a three-pronged fork in his hand. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest meat for roasting, as he will not take boiled meat from you, only raw. If the man said to him, They must surely burn the fat first, and then take as much as you desire, then he would say, No, but you shall give it to me now. And if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. For the men despised the offering of the Lord. Eli's sons, Eli, who was the priest of God, his sons were to be priests after him. And here they are abusing the sacrifices of the people. People would come and they would bring their sacrifices and we can go back to Leviticus and we can read strict ordinances for how the priests were to handle the sacrifices, how they were to burn the sacrifices. And yes, it's true that some of those sacrifices were intended to be eaten by the priests. It was a way of God providing for the priests. But there is a certain order, a procedure, and way to honor those sacrifices. And what is being described for us is that these two men cared nothing for the sacrifices of God. And they abused it and took advantage of it. And did you notice the text says they despised the offering of the Lord. And in fact, the section opens with the text saying they didn't know the Lord. Verse 12. They did not know the Lord. How is it possible that these two men who were serving as priests, serving under the tutelage of their father who was the chief priest, how is it possible that they did not know the Lord? Shouldn't they of all people in Israel know the Lord? Know Yahweh? But you see, for them it was just rote. For them it was just procedure. People bring their sacrifices, and we're going to go ahead and eat it anyway uh, because we are the priests. This is given for us to eat. And yet they looked and said, it's nothing. It's a meaningless sacrifice that people are bringing. Let's just go ahead and eat it now. Let's go ahead and eat it while the fat's still on because everybody knows if you're going to have a good roast, it needs to have some fat in it, right? You can, that's how you make your gravy. That's how you make it tender. That's how you make it good. You know, here in Texas, if you're going to have barbecue, you want to have a little marble in your brisket, right? Make it tender. Make it taste good. And so here they were, taking the meat before the fat had been burned off of it, like Moses and Leviticus said needed to be done. And they were abusing it. But you see, the point is, as Samuel was writing in verse 12, they did not know the Lord and they despised his sacrifice. 
It's not just that God will anxious. It's not just that, that they were ignorant. These terms describe a situation which these men, which should have been spiritual leaders in Israel, completely despised God. Didn't know Him. Treated Him and treated His sacrifices, treated His worship as ordinary, common, profane things. They did not honor God. They did not respect God and His worship and His tabernacle and His sacrifices. And then there's Eli, their dad. What is he to do about this? Now, Keep in mind, if they were already serving as priests, that means that they had to be at least 20 years of age. Because under the Levitical Code, you had to be at least 20 to serve as priests. So these were young adults. And yet Eli was not doing anything about it. Look at verse 22, 2 Samuel chapter 2. It says, Now Eli was very old, and he heard all that his sons were doing in Israel. And they add the detail. In addition to how they were abusing the sacrifices. And it says, And how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? The evil things which I hear from all these people. Know my sons, for the report is not good which I hear the Lord people circulating. If one man sins against another, God will mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for the Lord desires to put them to death. It's interesting phrasing here. Interesting things that we see in this part of the text. I suppose if we look at Eli, we could say, well, what else would you expect Eli to do? And he hasn't been talking with him. He reminds them of what may happen. He reminds them that what they're doing is not good. But you see, they continue to sleep with the women who are there. We're not quite sure what this is a reference to. You don't see anything in the Levitical law about women serving at the mouth of the, the front of the temple. Uh, and so there's some scholarly debate about what exactly this is. But they were sleeping around with these women taking advantage of them, as well as the sacrifices. And Eli gives them a strong talking to. Boys, you shouldn't do this. This isn't right. If you sin against man, God can come between you and mediate and bring forgiveness. But if you sin against God, what are you going to do? And yet his sons continue to behave in the same fashion. And Eli has done very little. And so he has insight. He knows what they're doing. He is aware of it. And so we have insight into the parenting of Eli. He only talks to them, don't do this. But notice chapter 3 and verse 13. Let's back up a little bit. Look at verse 10. Then the Lord came and stood and called... 
as at other times, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel, which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew, because his sons brought a curse on themselves, and he did not rebuke them. Some translations say he failed to restrain them. <clears throat> the parenting of Eli was such that all he did was tell his sons, you guys probably shouldn't do this. This is a good idea. But he didn't restrain them. He didn't remove them from serving as priests. Now put yourselves in the shoes of Eli for just a minute. And you think back to your forefather, Aaron. And because Aaron had a couple sons who offered incense to God that was not right. What happened to him? God took him. Killed him immediately. And yet Eli's sons are allowed to live. At least up to this point. And if you're Eli, you think, well, look, if it was God's will for them to be gone, maybe they'd be gone, but God's letting it go on, so it can't be that bad. I mean, you can almost see the rationalization that sometimes we, we put into things. God's going to take care of it in his own way. We have to rationalize that way. God's going to take care of it in his own way. God is a God of choice. God was a God of choice in the Garden of Eden. He's always allowed us choice. And in this case, the choice that's being made is, Eli, how am I going to deal with my son's grievous and egregious sin against God and his worship and his sacrifices. And his choice was to let it continue and just give it mouth service, lip service. You guys really shouldn't be doing this. Now let's go on. Instead of removing his sons from serving his priests. I wonder how hard it would be to remove your sons from serving his priests. I suppose that, that's a big sock in your gut. Hey, if you're the chief priest and you hear these things about your children, uh, it would be very difficult as chief priest, I suppose, to, to come to the decision, I can't let my son serve anymore. And so it would be difficult to pull them out of that role, I suppose, emotionally. But that's what you need to do. That's what Eli needed to do. And he failed to do that. The text says... He did not rebuke them. Or some translations say he failed to restrain them. They continued this behavior. And we get the sense that they had no desire to know God, to have a relationship with God. As a father, it was his duty, his responsibility to train his children. We go back, for instance, to Deuteronomy chapter 6, that great chapter in which God tells fathers what is their responsibility. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 8. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your houses, on your house and on your gates. And when it shall come about, when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of good things which you did not build, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and eat and are satisfied. Then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. Verse 17. Diligently keep his commandments of the Lord your God and his testimony and the statutes which he commanded you. You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that they may be well with you, that you may go in and possess the good land which the Lord swore to give your fathers. The Israelites were to be so active, so purposeful, so diligent in teaching their sons that it was supposed to be something that they made a part of their everyday lives. Their everyday routines were to be filled with talking about God, giving honor and glory to God, so that when their children said, how did we get these things, the dads were able to remind them, God gave us these things. The blessings we have are from God. And so when we fast forward to 1 Samuel, chapter 2 and chapter 3, and the text tells us that they didn't know God, and yet they were serving as his priests, that's the problem. They did not know God. Eli fell to teach his sons about God. The service of priest was just a privilege and a job and a right and entitlement. I said privilege, I meant entitlement. It was just sort of an entitlement to them. We're entitled to this thing. We're entitled to these things. We're the priest, but they didn't know God. And so we have insight perhaps into how Eli raised his sons. By his actions in 1 Samuel, it appears that Eli showed his sons, or allowed his sons, to get away with whatever they wanted. Again, when we look at chapter 2, <laughs> verse 29, God speaking to Eli says, Why do you kick at my sacrifice and at my offering which I have commanded in my dwelling? And honor your sons above me by making yourselves fat with the choices of every offering of, of my people of Israel. 
God says by allowing his sons to continue to do what they were doing while he was aware of it, he was honoring his sons above God. These sacrifices that people were bringing, they were bringing to God. And yes, under the Levitical Code, some of those things were meant as a way to provide for the needs of the priestly families. But they were abusing it and taking advantage of it and not following the right procedure in order that God had intended. And God asks Eli, why are you honoring your son? But think about it again. It would be hard to tell your sons you're no longer qualified to serve as priests. Because of how you're abusing God's sacrifices. You're no longer qualified to serve God in his tabernacle because you're sleeping around with the women that are coming to the mouth. There's an opening of the tabernacle. Uh, that would rip, I imagine, every father's heart out of his chest. But you see, by knowing it and letting it go on, Eli was honoring his sons above God. God's message for Eli is, the result is, your sons are going to die. And you're going to die. And we see later on in 1 Samuel that that is exactly what happens. I suppose on one hand we might say he loved his sons and he lived in denial, but in the story he articulates his awareness of what they're doing of what he's hearing from the people of Israel that they're doing. We don't see any response from them that says that they denied it. Dad, you're just hearing rumors. Dad, you're just hearing what people are saying, but it's not true. Look, this is what we're doing. They offer nothing in response. Perhaps he wanted to be their friend. More than their leader. More than their father. I don't know. Maybe he didn't like discipline. I don't know. But we see whatever the case was, he failed discipline his sons to remove them from serving. What are the pitfalls then that we face as Christians today in how we raise our children? When we fail to raise them to have a relationship with God. When we fail to discipline our children when they need it. How can we avoid these pitfalls as parents today? We're reminded of Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, which is very similar to the passage that we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6, only this is geared and targeting Christians instead of the Jewish people. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I'm going to read it again. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And you've heard me preach about this passage before. And the idea of instruction, the idea of training, or discipline, rather, is the discipline that goes along with careful training, much like you would see an athlete 
a professional athlete, trained for an event. Don't just get up and exercise occasionally and hope to do well. Every segment, every aspect of their lives are geared towards this event. Their diets are geared towards maximizing the buildup of muscles and the right amount of oxygen in the muscles so that the day of the event they can perform at their greatest potential. They exercise. And those of us who are familiar with Texas high school football now, you've got your two-a-days. You work out two, three hours, I guess, in the morning, two, three hours in the afternoon. You're dead in the middle. But you are training and training and training. And that's the idea of training. It's not a haphazard thing. It's purposeful. And it's every aspect of what you do. Fathers, raise your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Not discipline in this passage in the sense of your child does something egregious and so you, you spank him to death. But it's the idea of being specific and clear and articulate. This is why we do this. This is why we don't do this. You need to do this over again so that you are training that child to think about God and to honor God and to teach them about God and God events. Your child makes a mistake. You correct them. <laughs> or you correct them and you say this is how we do it. Those of you from military families know what this is all about. You go to boot camp and your DI or your drill instructor, your technical instructor, whatever branch you're in, call that rascal with the three up and three down that you don't like for however many weeks has you drill and drill and drill and drill until it becomes so automatic that you're just able to go and do what you need to do. And that's the idea. You spend so much time with your children and everything is God-centered so that for them it becomes easy to follow God. And that's what Paul is telling these Christian fathers in Galatians or Ephesians chapter 6. We need to understand that it is the parents' role to teach children how to conduct themselves in society. How to behave in culture. How to live as a member of society from a Christian perspective. And understanding that role means that we must accept the reality of the role. Sometimes it requires physical discipline. Sometimes it requires modeling good behavior. Actually, always it requires modeling good behavior. Worshiping together as a family. Letting them see vulnerability and faith in God. We struggle with finances. We struggle with word. We struggle with the passing of love. We, we struggle with health concerns. And yet as we struggle with those things, we put our faith in God. And we see how God brought us through it. And we're able to show our children, look, we were struggling. We were hurting. We had pain. But God got us through it. And when you're real with your children and they see that, then they see how Christianity is real for them. They need to see that we practice Christianity authentically. It's 
It's not just something we do for a show, but it's something that we try to live our lives by. Sometimes it requires making tough decisions. We're not going to be able to play on this team if they practice on Sundays, if they practice on Wednesdays, because we're going to be worshiping God. We're going to be serving God. Sometimes it means facilitating decision-making, having a conversation with our kids. What should we do based on what the Word of God tells us? And must be willing to put our values into action. Eli verbally scolded his sons, but that's it. Eli failed to remove his sons from service or cutting them off. Perhaps it would have never come to that if he had done some things differently in the job. We can't make the decisions for our children. It's important for us to realize that sometimes we can guide our children and train our children and teach our children, but they're going to make their own choices. <coughs> but my kids can't follow a roadmap towards God if I don't provide them that. My children can't follow what I model for them if I don't model anything for them. My children can't know which way to go if I never show them the way. Oh, eventually as adults, they might find that. I understand that. But what I'm saying is, it's possible for my children to make their own decisions and go a different way. But at least I've shown them the path. If I fail to show them the path, then they're already starting off heading in the wrong direction. As a parent, we can help our children avoid the pitfalls of life and avoid mistakes when we choose to follow what God tells us to do. Eli failed by falling into one of life's major pitfalls. He failed to discipline his sons. And we can avoid this pitfall by acknowledging Eli's examples. Examples. Eli's sons didn't know God. They treated his sacrifices with contempt. Perhaps he failed to teach them to have a relationship with God. Perhaps he failed to teach them to not only to, to not simply go through the motions, but to truly have a heart and a desire to be pleasing to God. We do know that he failed to discipline his sons in the end. And we saw where that led him in his sons. And we can avoid the pitfall as Christians by recognizing our responsibility to our children to raise them in the instruction of this kind of religion. And we must be willing to put our values to practice every aspect of our values. A child may choose not to follow, but it's impossible to follow if you're not willing. Maybe you're here today and you didn't have that example. Or someone didn't lead you, but now you know where you need to go. You've read the scriptures, and you're ready to be united with Jesus in the death, burial, and resurrection. Whatever you need, I'll just come. Let's get it the same